0: Good morning. Uh, my name's Lou, and I want to say that I'm glad that you're here. Welcome. I don't even know how to describe the last few weeks. They've been almost unbearable for so many. All kinds of stuff happening, both in our country and around the globe. Stuff that, stuff that breaks the heart of God, and uh, I know it breaks our hearts as well. And um, it's hard to know how to respond to that. Hard to know how to uh, pray through that. There are issues that our country has yet to deal with that keep coming up. There's brokenness throughout the world that keeps finding new ways to break And yet, in the midst of that, we are God's people called to live in this world as God's agents, as God's presence, and hope, and peace, and love. We're going to be talking about that today. A couple of weeks ago, we started a new series on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, and I'll read that passage in a couple of minutes. But the idea behind this is what does it look like? How do we live as God's people in this broken world in a way that actually reflects the character of God, the purpose of God? How do we live in this world in a way that reflects what Jesus said were the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How do we do that? Well, the only way we do that is in the power of God. The only way we do that is with the character, the spirit of Jesus. And when Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit, he's using a metaphor to talk about the character of Jesus being formed in us so that we can live the life of Jesus in the world. That's really what the fruit of the Spirit is about. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us the character of Jesus so that we can do what Jesus does in the world, so we can be God's people in the world, living the life of Jesus just as Jesus lived it when he was walking this earth. So, let me read the passage. We'll be reading it every week for the next few weeks. This is from Galatians 5, and we'll begin with verse 16. Well, let me start with verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor As yourself if you bite and devour each other watch out or you will be destroyed by each other you've been seeing a lot of that these last few weeks so I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh Obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. This is by no means an exhaustive list. Paul could have gone on for a long time. Racial injustice, economic injustice, desire for vengeance and vindication, all of that, you could add a lot to this list. But he continues I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step With the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So, we're in the third week of our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And each week we'll be looking at a different aspect of the one fruit of the Spirit. One fruit, nine different aspects or dimensions, flavors of that one fruit of the Spirit. What Paul is doing is he's contrasting the results we produce by the works, by the acts, works of our own self effort with the character that is produced in us by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And what Paul is saying honor Jesus by walking by the Spirit, or another way of saying by being led by the Spirit. That's how we honor Jesus. This week our focus is on peace and we're going to be talking about what peace is, why it's needed, where peace comes from, what it looks like, what it does. Now, when you think of the word peace, what comes into your mind? Maybe, maybe you think about peace as the absence of conflict or violence or war. Maybe you think of peace as as an internal quietness, a, a peace of mind where you don't feel anxious or worried or stressed or hurried or fearful. Peace is when you feel calm and relaxed and at rest on the inside. Now, the biblical concept of peace is all of that. It's about absence of conflict, and it's about peace of mind, but it's so much more than that as well. The Bible's concept of peace is much bigger, much bigger than what our English word peace tends to convey. Now, our English word peace is the word that's used to describe two biblical words, The word shalom in the Old Testament and the word arene in the New Testament. And arene, the New Testament word, is a word used to translate the Old Testament word shalom in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Shalom is the big concept here biblically. And those words, that word shalom and, and its New Testament version, arene, and, and the words surrounding it of the same root, they appear 550 times in the Bible. And they have a big kind of idea around them. When you look at the way shalom or arene is used in the Bible... It conveys things like salvation, like wholeness, like integrity, like community, like connectedness. It's about righteousness. It's about justice. It's about well-being. It's about wholeness and flourishing. The images of shalom, the way shalom are used in the scriptures, speak of a world that is connected with God and with one another, with ourselves, all of that. Neil Plantiga says this about shalom. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. If in the fall, the right relationship of humankind to God, ourselves, one another, and the natural world were all fractured, then shalom, then shalom is the mending of each of these relationships. It is union with God, psychological peace, harmony with our fellow men and women, and flourishing in the natural world. He continues, People would work in peace and work to fruitful effect. Lambs could lie down with lions. All nature would be fruitful, benign, and filled with wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood. And all nature and all humans would look to God, walk with God, lean toward God, and delight in God. Shouts of joy and recognition would well up from valleys and seas, from women in streets, and from men on ships. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied, natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder in us as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. So in the Bible, shalom, peace, is about right relationships. It's about right relationship with God. It's about right relationship with our own selves. It's about right relationship with one another. It's about right relationship with the world, people in the world. It's about right relationship with the physical creation. It's about right relationship. Wholeness, flourishing, justice. It's about love and grace and joy and hope that we extend to one another and hold with one another. It's about serving and not using. It's about giving and not taking. It's about seeing the best in one another and not the worst. It's about knowing that we are loved completely, completely and unquenchably and everlastingly by God and allowing God's love to flow through us to everyone else. In our path, that kind of shalom, peace, doesn't come from ourselves. The Bible is clear that Jesus is our peacemaker and our peace giver. John 1425 to 27 says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither be afraid. And then from John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. What things? Jesus has been telling them about what's going to happen to him and to them. And then he says, I told you these things so that in me you have peace. Not in what's going to happen, but in me. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In Colossians chapter one, Paul writes, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And in Romans 5.1, Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. What does all this mean? It means that when Jesus went to the cross and laid down his life in our place when he chose to die for us on the cross, he made it possible for us to be reconciled, to be brought back into right relationship with God our Father. We had destroyed that relationship. We get broken God's covenant and broken God's heart and Jesus made a way for us to come back together in right relationship with God. He did what was necessary to make things right between us and God, between God and us. He paid our debt, forgave our sin, removed our guilt, removed our shame, covered our shame. The result is that we have shalom, peace with God. We no longer have to hide from God or run from God because of our guilt and shame. It's been dealt with. We can go before God and know, absolutely know, that we are welcomed, accepted. We're forgiven. We're loved by God. We are precious to God in his sight. And he delights in us. Peace with God anchors our soul. Peace with God serves as the ballast for our life. It holds us stable, keeps us stable. When the tidal waves of brokenness and sin and injustice and hatred, and violence, and confusion, and betrayal, when all those things wash over us, God's peace, the peace that we have with God, serves as our anchor and our ballast. It keeps us stable and in the right place. And because we have peace with God, we can have peace with our own selves, We can face ourselves, face all the stuff in our own lives, all the stuff we're ashamed of, the thoughts, the lies, the cheating, the envy, the jealousy, the addictions, the failures, the slander, the unforgiveness, the anger, the bitterness and rage, the hurts, the scars, the pain, the wounds. We can face all that in us we can face all that and let it go because Jesus has dealt with it all he's broken it's power over us we're no longer held in chains by the brokenness of our past or the brokenness of other people's The chains of other people's brokenness directed against us. We also can have peace with others. The peace that we have with God, the peace that we've experienced in God, we can extend to others. We no longer have to hold their stuff against them, even when their stuff has caused our stuff. We can forgive and we can love, and we can let go because we're held firm and stable in God's hands and in his heart. And then, when we have peace with God, And able to have then peace with one of ourselves and with one another, we're free to go out into the world with God's peace. Let me read a passage from John chapter twenty. I'm reading verses nineteen to twenty-three. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came. And stood among them and said, "Peace be with you." After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, "Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you." And with that he breathed them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I want you to notice six things from this short passage. First, notice where were the disciples? They're in a room with the doors locked, they're hiding. In fear. Why are they afraid? They're afraid that what happened to Jesus, Jesus' arrest and torture and crucifixion, they're afraid that all of what happened to Jesus would happen to them. And they were terrified, afraid, hiding behind locked doors. Notice that Jesus came to them. Where they were, in their fear, behind those locked doors, Jesus came to them where they were. He came to them in their fear and in their confusion and in their pain. The locked doors couldn't keep him from them. Jesus comes to us wherever we are in whatever situation we're in when we need him. Jesus comes to us where we are. Nothing can keep Jesus from us when we need him. Not locked doors, not unjust empires, not the betrayal of friends, none of that can keep Jesus from us when we need him. Our own brokenness and sin can't keep Jesus from us when we need him. He comes. Notice what Jesus says to them. Peace be with you. Jesus came to them to give them his peace. Jesus wants to give peace to all of his followers. He wants to give peace to each of you in whatever situation you are in. And we, each of us, desperately needs Jesus' peace. Our world needs Jesus' peace. So what did he do? He showed them his hands and his side. He showed them his hands and his side. What does that mean? It means that he showed them the, his hands that were nailed to a cross for us. He showed them his sides where a Roman spear had pierced him. He showed us, in other words, the wounds that came from his love for us. He showed them the wounds that caused his death, the death that we should have endured. Jesus is the peacemaker and the peace giver. But making and giving peace doesn't come cheap. It doesn't come easy. It cost Jesus his life. And he laid it down willingly for us, for you and for me. The cross that killed Jesus is the cross that made our peace possible. And only Jesus' cross makes our peace possible. Jesus showed him his hands and his side because he wanted them to know it was really him and he wanted them to know that he was radically and utterly committed to them. He loved them. He also wanted them to know that he was bigger than their fears, bigger than their sin. He was bigger than the devil displayed through the Roman Empire. He was bigger than death. He's bigger than injustice. The disciples, they finally get it. It's really Him. That's the real Jesus, their Jesus with them, and they're overjoyed. They're overjoyed because it's really Jesus, but they're probably already, but they're probably also overjoyed that Jesus actually showed up. Because the last time most of them had seen Jesus was when Jesus was arrested. And when Jesus got arrested, instead of following him, being with him, most of them took off. They left. They fled. They were scared and they fled. They left him behind. They betrayed him. They said that they would stay with him even if it cost them their lives and they didn't mean it. They got scared and they left. And they felt ashamed and guilty and broken and hopeless and in despair. And then there he is in their midst, in the midst of their brokenness, their fear, all of that. He's there. He's not there to say, you guys left me behind. You guys made promises and didn't keep it. He didn't say any of that. He said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And they knew then and there that there was a radical love and forgiveness available to them that was so much bigger than anything they had ever, ever imagined. And it was given by the one who is more than they'd ever imagined. He was God come in the flesh to be with them. The one who had part in the creation of the universe is the one who stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. That's our God, that's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. He shows them his hands and his side, and he says a second time, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Everyone you forgive will be forgiven, everyone you don't forgive will not be forgiven. What he was saying is, "I'm sending you into the world the same way I came into the world. I came to serve the world. I'm sending you to serve the world. I sent you to forgive the world. I want you to forgive and extend my forgiveness. I came into this world to tell the truth. I want you to go into the world to tell the truth. I came into this world to die. I'm sending you into the world to die. But I'm sending you into the world to die and to rise up again. The world is not in a good place. The world's not the way it was meant to be. Our world is scarred, it's broken, it's polarized, it's divided, it's unjust, it's unfair. It's not the way God created the world to be. But hear this, hear this. The way The world is now is not the way the world will be. The way the world is now is not the way the world will be. Our God will renew and remake this world. In the language of revelation, he will make all things new. the world will be cleansed, it will be healed, it will be restored, it will be made whole when Jesus returns. And in the meantime, we, God's people, Christ's followers, as a community of God's people, filled with his peace, given his spirit, we're to be a sign to our world that a new world is coming. We are to be the sign, the sign to the world that a new world, a just and whole world is coming, a shalom world is coming we've been reconciled to God and now we have peace with him because of what Christ has done for us because we have peace with God we can now have peace with our own selves we can bring shalom peace, God's peace to one another and to the world in Jesus name by the power of the Holy Spirit living, living in us Shalom, shalom peace is a vision. It's a vision of what God will bring into being. You and I are made for something better than what we see in the world today. We're made for something better. The world was made to be something better. Shalom is a vision. It's also a declaration, a declaration by God that the way the world was created, the way the world should be is the way the world will be one day. Jesus said to his disciples in that room with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, he said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And they heard him, and they believed him, and they trusted in what he said. And they went out into the world. They left, they unlocked those doors, they went out, no longer afraid of being killed. They went out into the world with the love of Jesus, with the peace of Jesus, by the spirit of Jesus. And they lived in a world like Jesus lived. And they turned the Roman Empire on its head. They loved the people no one else would love. They forgave the people who had done despicable things to them. They served people without regard for their own safety or health. They did all that and they shaped, they changed the course of history. And we're in this room, this sanctuary today, because they heard that message. As the father sent me, I am sending. You, they heard that and they believed it. And they received it, trusted, and acted on it. They did that. Human beings, broken, Sinful, often confused, scared. Just like us. People just like us heard that message. And he received Jesus' peace. And in his spirit, went out into the world. And so can we. We are God's people. We belong to Jesus. Because we belong to Jesus, we do not have to be shaken by the brokenness of this world. Because we belong to Jesus and have his peace, we can bring peace to a world that's desperate for it. We can bring wholeness. We can bring joy We can bring justice and righteousness. We can do that. Because our God is with us. And working in us and through us. And Jesus has conquered death. He's conquered sin. He's conquered all that fractured our world in the first place. And he's remending this world. And we get to be part of that in these days. And we'll get to see it in fullness when he returns. That's our destiny. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are pursuing God. You pursue us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to us in the midst of our brokenness and sin. You found us and you saved us. You're with us and you're for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're using us to bear your life in this world. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you help us to know the peace of Jesus. Thank you that you help us to receive it. Thank you that you're forming the character of Christ in us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you make it possible for us to live as Jesus did in this world. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you thanks. And we ask our great God that you would help us to honor you in this world by loving you, loving one another to the very end. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.